0: This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Today we discuss why policy matters. I know most everyone I know except for those of us who work in this work of policy are already tired of politics name calling and the entire process but it is our unique american process that gives us the opportunity to influence policy priorities and the people who govern us there are those of us who work to build our relationship logic models and make a pitch to lawmakers elected officials about how we can do more and better for the residents of michigan who are struggling with the stress of living a food insecure life. This is straight up lobbying. And I know many of you think lobbying is pure evil. Some would ask, why do food banks need a lobbyist? And I'd simply say, because everyone else has one. Some of our policy efforts are external with elected officials, and some is with the employees of the various departments of state government. Those that manage the programs that are designed to help the families we serve. This type of internal advocacy is termed administrative advocacy. Sometimes directors and state government have a little wiggle room on how a piece of legislation can be applied. At the Food Bank Council, we try to influence that policy. Influencing the influencers is a theme around Food First Michigan and the Food Bank Council as we are not only changing the conversation about food insecurity here in Michigan, but we are also creating a movement that will help us build the right relationships, influence the decision makers, and hold everyone who has a role in these programs accountable. People in Michigan who are struggling with food insecurity from Detroit to Eagle Harbor deserve our best efforts as we come alongside of them to listen, learn, and work together to solve hunger in Michigan. Our guest today is Anna Almanza, the Director of Policy at the Food Bank Council of Michigan and an insider who is leading our work of influencing the influencers on behalf of this great mission of creating a food-secure state. Anna joins Jerry and me next on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. As promised, Jerry Brisson joins me in the studio. Jerry, great to see you here at the uh, Fisher Building.
1: Well, it is great to see you, but you really do come in second today.
0: Yeah, there's
1: (laughs) not second to me.
0: Let's just be clear. Yeah, just second. I'm happy to take second because (laughs) Anna Almanza, as promised, is our guest today, and she's here in our WJR studio. So, Anna, welcome to Food First Michigan. This is your first Time on the show. Won't be your last, we hope. But anyway, (laughs) welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to join you too.
0: Well, normally this is when Jerry would tell you that we're an award winning show up until now. (laughs) So, no pressure or anything. (laughs)
1: You got to keep it going. That's exactly right. We got to keep it going.
0: So, we're great to have you here. And, uh, Jerry, I know you and Anna have had a conversation recently about policy matters here in the state of Michigan.
1: Well, several. We've had several conversations, but she did come to my office, and and we had, and, you know, well, she works with my team a lot. So, let me just say, my team loves Anna. They love working with her. She's so smart and very organized and helping us really create strategies for a lot of different aspects of our policy work. So we're grateful for that. And uh, and so we always want to start with our gratitude for all the work that you do. And the you're just so pleasant, you know, so it's <laughs> not just good work, but it's, it's always good to see you. People look forward to it. So thank you for that. Um, but aside from that, you know, the, the, the work of figuring out, well, what should our priorities be? How do we really understand the, the best opportunities, not just obviously based on the calendar and the schedule and what the legislature is talking about, but also what is it that people need? And how do we keep the people we serve front and center? And how do we not get distracted by all of the things that happen when you're doing policy work and really stay focused on those things that matter the most? And so I was really happy to give you my two cents or probably more like a nickel. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things that uh, I can't help myself, but uh, but you were very gracious, and uh, and I you know I think that you know part part of the important work is, is hearing from all of us who are feet on the ground, and so with that I'll I'll let you talk about you know y- how did you get to this place, right? I mean you know so here you are in my office probably thinking to yourself how did I get to this place, <laughs> but but let's have our listeners here how did you get here
2: yeah it's it's such an interesting story to think about how did i land in this (laughs) position and and get to the food being council i think it can start with food and agriculture agriculture in particular has very deep roots in my family i wouldn't be in michigan if it wasn't for ag Hmm. so we, we often boast about the fact that we're the second most agriculturally diverse uh, state in the country, second to only California, and I think it says a lot with such a short growing season, uh, but that's exactly what brought both my parents' family here to Michigan. Um, so my mom's family is originally, they're native to Texas. My dad is the son of two immigrants from Mexico, and they made their way up to Michigan for the rich agriculture. So both of my parents were both migrant and seasonal farm farm workers when they were young kids moving all around Michigan. And eventually both of their families took roots in Lansing. And that's my home now, both where I live and where I work with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Um, But that's something that's really strong, just connection to the food, where it's grown, who's who's picking that who's producing that how is it getting to the store has always been something that's particularly interesting to me because of my family background um but I won't say that I initially said oh food is what I'm gonna do Mm -hmm. so you know naturally you think you're gonna do something different and neither of my parents when I was growing up had any connection to food in any sort of way um so we've my parents had some struggles growing up. They're both non traditional college students. They came from families that didn't have a lot. Um, and so my dad joined the military. He's a Marine Corps vet in order to create some opportunities for himself out of high school. Um, and they were. Programs like WIC and SNAP and free and reduced school meals are something I know personally. Those mm. are resources that my parents had to utilize when I was a young kid so that my dad could go to school and he only had to work one full time job and didn't have to be away from us that we were able to still have our dad there as, and he was able to invest in himself. Mm. Um, My mom was a stay at home mom, so she concentrated on taking care of us until we all went to school and then herself was able to invest in herself and now she's a teacher. So I've really seen firsthand what those types of programs, how effective they can be and giving people a leg up and a support when it's most needed. And I truly believe it changed where my life could have been if my parents would have had a different outcome had they not had those resources.
0: Jerry, that's a perspective I don't think in five years of doing this show we've ever heard before.
1: Not quite that way. Really, really important and touching and moving and really good. You know, um, and if of course what motivates us to keep doing this is that story, your story, and the stories of the people we we, we have gotten to know. I mean, one of the things we say is the people that we support are amazing. Right. It's we we say it. It's it's not, you know, this narrative about needy doesn't fit what we actually see. Right. What we actually see are people like your parents who are who are trying to get through a certain spot in their life. They've defined some success for themselves and they're reaching for it. And so what a what a powerful
0: story. Yeah. The culmination of so many uh, programs that are designed to help families, you know, have a, a hand up to self-sufficiency is exactly they worked in your family's case. And, but, but it was a culmination of several of them, not, yes. it wasn't just one or, you know, we need to support this one and it's the exclusion of that one. That's kind of seems to be the, the policy conversation today. Well, we're doing this over here. That means we don't do this over here. And that's, that's not what worked in your case.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely not the reality for my family. I don't know what things would have looked like if we were only able to tap into one resource at that time. My dad likely would have had to work multiple jobs. I wouldn't have been able to see him growing up because he was in school and trying to provide and childcare. Even then, it was not nearly as expensive as now, but it was something that just wasn't affordable for my parents. And that's why my mom, we were fortunate that she was able to stay home with us. But it's definitely... I, I, I'm i still almost hesitant to share that. But it, it almost feels like it's not my story, it's my parents' story, and there's a lot of stigma associated mm. with participating in those programs. And that's something particularly for my dad was a hard thing to to talk about, that even though it was a brief moment in his life that he had to use those programs, I will say that me being involved in this work, I think has really felt more comfortable for him to be able to say, yeah, that worked for me. That helped me. I'm in a very different circumstance in my life because of that, and my kids were provided for. And ultimately, that was the most important thing for my parents at that time.
0: And your mom to then, to become a teacher, you know, I mean, that's that's a great story, and I I relate to that story as you well know because, yeah. you know, the opportunity to testify at Senator Stabenow's farm hearing you know field hearing that we had about the farm bill you helped me craft my testimony Um, We won't say how late into the night we had to work (laughs) to do that. But, you know, the last email I think we sent was at 3.20 in the morning. So I needed a lot of help, obviously. Um, But I I mean,
1: how much was redacted? That's what I want to know. I want to say, no, no, you can't talk about that. You know, well,
0: you know, the idea being that, you know, you needed a little bit of help for a little while. You know, and that's one of the questions we've been asking on this show for years: is how much help do people need, and for how long? And that's the right size of the safety net. And this is an excellent. Thanks for sharing that, and I, I hear you. It might be your dad, it might be your parent's story, but you you're certainly a product of that. So we got to take a quick break here, guys, and we're going to come back with Anna Almanza, the director of. Policy at the Food Bank Council, Jerry Brisson and me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back with you in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. We're here, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, with Anna Almanza, our Director of Policy at the Food Bank Council, and um, Jerry, insider view coming right at you from Anna here. Anna, what's going on on the federal front, and why does it matter to the families and the people we serve here in Michigan?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a few big pieces of legislation. One that looks like there's going to be some movement here in early fall, and one that we'll see in next in the upcoming year that I think we can talk about today. Um, so the first being is the Child Nutrition Reauthorization that you might often hear us call CNR. Um, this is a big Piece of legislation that houses all of those child nutrition programs that are administered by the United States Department of Agriculture's Food and Nutrition Services. So these include programs like the National National School Lunch Program, the Summer Food Service Program, um, WIC. All, all of those programs are housed under this, and it's been something that's been talked about for a few years now that it was time for that to be a new. CNR to be passed, and it's sort of been on hold because of everything happening with COVID. But there has been some some recent movement in that. Um, at the end of July, the House Education and Labor, which is the committee that works on the child nutrition um, specifically, what passed what they are proposing is their CNR bill called the Healthy Meals, Healthy Kids Act. And so now we've got to get it over to the Senate and see if there are things that they want to take out or add. Um but there are some really good things in there. I'd say there's also a few things that are missing though.
0: Right. And Anna, don't we have a representative here in Michigan um that is sits on the Health Ed and Labor Committee who's been who's been in contact with us to gather our perspective on you know school National School Lunch, WIC, Summer Feeding Program, all of these programs.
2: Absolutely. So Michigan actually has four of our representatives that are in the House Ed and Labor Committee. Um, But in particular, I'd say we'd have the most conversation with uh, Haley Stevens around this. She's a big advocate for our network and really wanting to be in the know of what's working, what's not been working during COVID when lots of flexibilities were provided during that time. Um, but on the Democratic side, we also have Andy Levin, who's who's also been a part of that committee. And then on the Republican side, we have Lisa McLean and Tim Wahlberg. So we've got a little bit on both sides that are actively engaged in that process.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, from some of the conversations we've had, it's it's pretty exciting to see that, you know, this is... Pretty, the kids and hunger are pretty much a nonpartisan, not even bipartisan, but all for both sides of the aisle or work are coming together to work on the CNR and and get this reauthorized. Yeah. Let
1: us know what are the what are the things that you think are good and what do you think is missing?
2: Yeah, I'd say so. There's a few highlights in there. One good thing. So we've had a ton of waivers and flexibilities that were provided during covid We've had some problems as each time that those have come to expire, it's been very last-minute decisions with Congress of whether or not they were going to allow that to continue for USDA. And in terms of boots-on-the-ground planning, that makes things really complicated. So summer feeding sites were already starting to happen or needing to be planning before they extended those flexibilities for the current summer, uh, which made it difficult for many sites to then operate, which meant communities were not served. Um, So one of the things that's included in this bill would grant USDA the authority to be able to issue both national and statewide waivers anytime that there's a federal emergency declaration in place, which that's a good thing. So that they're able to be proactive so that those boots on the ground sites will know ahead of time and be able to plan, which they haven't really had um, in current circumstances.
0: But there's also the issue of how those waivers are applied here in the state, right? I mean they're granted by at the federal level but they get a, they get applied because I know during the pandemic gleaners and Jerry and his team in particular were were leaders of a grocery box model that really got food to families, to parents in particular, at reduced price and and um and and, and much greater um Participation, participation rates that was it went from 1 in 8 families who
1: were getting food who were eligible for food to 90%. But
0: that but that that how that waiver allowed them to be able to do that that's not been a that's been canceled so to speak. Not the waiver but the application of how that could be used.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's that's a difficulty when it comes to it's got to think at both sides. So it can't all be on the federal side of we can invest and make a program as robust as possible with as many flexibilities on the federal side. And USDA says, Congress says USDA, you can allow this and USDA allows states. But if the states don't implement it in the way that it's intended, that is absolutely a barrier. So that is definitely something that there is room for growth and what we've seen in the application of some of these programs within our state. I know that those are some conversations I had recently with Senator Stabenow's office in particular. Um, since her team is really a champion around pushing for some of those flexibilities for those programs. But if that doesn't translate on the state agency side, then all of that work really doesn't come to fruition and doesn't benefit the kids of our state to have access to food. And so that is an incredible problem. Yeah, and one we gotta keep talking about, right? And one of our recent shows we said,
1: nobody is an island, we have got to be working together. Everyone who's invested in this has to be talking with each other about how to overcome these problems and what reach the kids and families because that is the point of it right more than anything else it's not about helping food banks it's not about helping school districts it's about helping kids and families and that's what we have to keep front and center
0: that's great all right i gotta move us along what's the other piece of federal legislation that's not going to happen this year but next year
2: yes so the next big piece is the farm bill so that happens every five years and we're coming up for 2023 we're we're due for an update on that so that is something that both both the house and the senate side it's the agriculture committees that oversee um, that piece of legislation so we're really fortunate in michigan that our senator Senator Debbie Stabenow is the ch- current chairwoman of the Senate Ag Committee and has provided leadership for that committee for several years. Um, and is really a, a great champion of the work that our network does and, and really food and nutritious sh- nutrition access work here in Michigan. So we're really excited to have worked with her team already but continue to be able to work and share things that we think programs like SNAP and um, the Emergency Food Assistance Program, or what you'll hear us in the Food Bank Network called TFAP. Um, CSFP, which is a commodity supplemental food program. So that's the commodities for seniors specifically. All of these programs are housed in the Farm Bill. And so if we want to see investments and improvements in those programs, the Farm Bill really is that opportunity to see that come to fruition.
0: Well, we're pretty excited about that, and we might have to pick this up on the other side of the break here because it's just a lot. We love the Farm Bill, and I think that our own Senator Debbie Stabenow certainly makes Michigan super relevant to this conversation with her being the chairwoman. I think a gentleman at Farm Bureau referred to Debbie Stabenow as the most powerful person in agriculture in the entire world. So she's our senator. So we're going to pick this up on the other break. That's Anna Almanza, Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back, Jerry Passan, Dr. Phil Knight, with our guest, Anna Almanza. First time on Food First Michigan, uh, but certainly will not be your last. Um, And so we were talking a little bit in the previous segment about the farm bill. Can you kind of put a bow on that? I mean, you talked about why it's so important, our positioning here in Michigan because of Senator Stabenow, but um, I mean, again, you know, it, it really houses a lot of the I don't know, the resources that food banks use in order to help families across the state.
2: Absolutely. So I'd say this is probably going to be one of the most important farm bills that we pass. It's it's coming off an unprecedented time where we've had so many opportunities to be able to learn hmm. from doing things in new ways and having new resources that were provided for each of these programs that I hope is not lost in that when we're thinking more permanently this piece of legislation there's a lot of great things that came out of that Um, i'd say particularly with snap thinking about benefits adequacy there was some improvements to the thrifty food plan that's going to be something that's really important to see maintained or or add to that benefits adequacy as we've seen what the impact has been like, particularly with those emergency allotments during the pandemic. It's helped take some pressure off the food banks with people having a little more snap dollars. And it's going to be a big hit when they lose that. Um, So on the other side of the coin, the Emergency Food Assistance Program is is a big piece of the resources of what mm-hmm. us as the Michigan Food Bank Network and the net food banks all across the country rely on. Sure. And, and Jerry can speak more eloquently to this and more intimately to the experience of what we're seeing right now with USDA food, but at a time where these warehouses are empty, like I've never seen before, It's a very important time to invest in TFAP and our commodity programs overall. And so I'm really hopeful that we can help to address some of the short-term needs, but also think long-term what some solid investments in programs like TFAP and CSFP could look like to really think about having an impact on creating food security in our state.
1: Yeah, food banks depend on the USDA to get access to food. And the USDA has vendors of all kinds nationally, right? They have access to growers, producers... Uh, distributors, right? All those people are part of the federal system of managing how the USDA deals with commodities and deals with uh, making sure that markets are right for farmers. You know, one of their biggest priorities at the USDA is to support farmers and farming communities, and they do that by making sure that there's a market for the products that that our communities need. We need our farmers to be successful because everybody needs to be able to eat, right? So, so one of the levers they have is to take some of that food that the market isn't so good, but the farmers really need the income, and they take that food and they, through the emergency food assistance program, get that food to people in need, right? The food banks are the logistics that make that real. That's, you know, the, the USDA can't just dump it on somebody's doorstep, right? You And you have to keep it safe. So you got to make sure that it's handled safely and efficiently and food banks play a big role in partnership with the USDA to make that happen. Except it's not working very well right now. The USDA, who we depend to have access to food... Is not having access to food and part of its supply chain issues part of its you know way more global and dynamic than than any one simple thing or explanation but let's just say there's still a job to be done there there is still food to be had and you know what did my dad used to say when the going gets tough the tough get going right so you know we got to get going we've heard enough complaints It's time to get food to hungry families, and it's time to continue to support those farmers. That's the miracle of TFAP. It supports farmers and helps hungry families so we have thriving communities, rural, urban, and everything in between. Not that I get excited about this topic, but the Farm Bill is where the legislation happens to enable that wonderful piece of work. And when it works... It is one of the least expensive, most impactful programs in the federal government.
0: I believe that. And that is an excellent segue to the state side of Anna's work, because uh, a guest we've had on the show uh, recently and often, Senator Roger Victory, who happens to be one of Anna's favorites, um, (laughs) is has a bill that is uh, number 885. We talked about it on this show before. And and contained within that bill is a $15 million food box program um, that that we really would love to see passed immediately, if not sooner.
2: Absolutely. So that as Phil mentioned, that $15 million for a farm to, to food bank, food box, it could not come at a better time. Um, when food banks are desperately in need of food overall, to have access to fresh Michigan grown and produced food would be just is so impactful in ways you right. can't describe right now. And and our food bank network is so well equipped to take on that program immediately. Um so we we have the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System which we lovingly call Mass, which is a program we've had for several years now that's been very successful in allowing us to purchase um, what we call number twos, B-grade, perfectly edible, um, delicious food that just maybe don't have the right look, the shape, the size, the color to sell in the grocery store. We're able to purchase those foods and get those out to our network and communities so that they have that fresh Michigan-grown and produced items Um, So we, as Jerry alluded to earlier, our network really is an expert at both storing and distributing fresh food at an expert level. And so we're ready. We're ready and able to take on, if this bill can pass, we're ready to get that food out into communities when it's so desperately needed. So really excited to work with Senator Victory on that and hope to see that go across the finish line.
0: Yeah, it would be immediate help for our network and, of course, the families we serve. And that's why all this policy matters, right? It's not about our influence, as Jerry said, it's not about helping food banks, it's, it's about helping the families. And that's why policy matters, that's why the people we elect matter, that's why we have this very unique system of, of, um, of elections within our republic, and it's important. And, you know, we're thankful that you have great relationship with Senator Victory and, and others through the legislature. Um, so there's opportunity here. And, you know, if our listening audience wouldn't mind to, uh, you know, give their uh, uh, representative and their senators a call to say, hey, support Senate Bill 885. I think we've asked people to do that on this show before, Jerry.
1: Yeah, we sure have. And, and it's a good time to do that. I mean, again, the it helps families— on so many levels right those farming communities it 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 helps them manage the ins and outs of how farming happens and there's so many risks you know farming always has a lot of risks so to make the markets more uh amenable to the farming families and those rural communities by making food that would otherwise not have any market at all be used by families who need a little bit of help to be successful. Everybody thrives in these programs, right? And when you think about all the connective tissue, too, the distributors and the and the transport and the other people that benefit when you have a program that really supports agriculture in a good way, there's just no reason not to want this. I mean, it's it's not an exorbitant amount of money. The return on the investment is, is it 15 to 1, doctor? Uh, yeah. it, it's something like that that, right?
0: Four, 14.7, but we'll round All right, up. there <laughs>
1: we go, right? So, I mean, you know, this is this is just smart legislation.
0: It is, it is. Anna, we got a couple minutes left. What else on the state level that we should be aware of?
2: Yeah, I think we could add a point of celebration. So we were very fortunate, um, both our state legislature, our governor's office were really supportive of investing in food security in the current budget cycle for the upcoming year. Um, and there was about almost $4 million, so $3.9 million that were included for food security initiatives, which our network is really excited to work with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to put those dollars to excellent use to be able to invest in both conducting a Michigan hunger study, which is going to be so exciting to allow us to know more about who is food insecure? Why? Where? It's hard to build new infrastructure, think about new programming, where things should be going, who we are serving or who we're not serving when we don't have data. So it's really exciting to be able to do something in-house that's never been done in-house in Michigan like that before. And the Food Bank Council of Michigan is really excited to have our our research team take leadership on that.
0: And I will say that that, I don't believe that happens without Anna. I
1: well, don't... that's for sure. Yep. that's for sure. You know, only insiders really get excited about reports, right? Ooh, <laughs> we're gonna have a report! Yay! But, but you know, the, the the it really is the glue that holds things together. You know, we've been a, a food bank network since the you know really late '60s and early '70s. Gleaners was the first food bank in Michigan, and we 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 came around in in the you know sort of mid to late '70s. Uh, now there's seven food bank serving every county that's a tremendous amount of growth we keep learning as we go but as you grow you need more information so that you know not only that every resource you spend is being used wisely and well and where it's needed the most but who aren't you reaching yet who still needs help who and then once you know who then you can start to figure out how long And then you can start figuring out, so this is the kind of program that's going to meet that need. I did a a presentation recently where I talked about how so much of our food safety net isn't connected to need. Hmm. It's just connected to, well, this is what we can get, so let's do the most we can with it. This kind of data connects programs to actual needs. So you can have a baseline. You can then compare your results against that baseline and start to see real progress in people's lives that, is what it's about, even
0: though reports are still exciting. (laughs) Right, exactly. Anna, it's great having you. Thanks for taking the time driving down to the Fisher Building here to be with us on Food First Michigan. Your first time, as I said, but definitely will not be your last. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anytime I get a chance to sit down with the two of you is a great time. So I appreciate the opportunity. And... Look forward to having some more discussions and continue to make policy an interesting topic. Right? right. <laughs> it's important to us all.
0: Policy matters. <laughs> and, yes, it does. And and you thinking that a uh, uh, sitting down with Jerry and I is a uh, is an opportunity. You are a minority of one on that. So,
1: <laughs> but it's a good sound bite for the commercials.
0: It is. So thanks everyone for listening. Jerry and I are back in a moment to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry, Anna Almanza. I'm a pretty fortunate executive director of the Food Bank Council, don't you think?
1: Well, I certainly think that for, for more than one reason, but Anna is certainly one of them. She is, as I said in the show... Everybody loves working with Anna. She's wonderful. She has a very bright personality, but also is very bright. So smart, capable, great to work with. Uh, Just another reason why we continue to make progress in this work. So uh, very exciting. We had our success show recently, and a lot of those successes
0: come about from good policy work. Well, you know, you remember back a few years ago, Rob Fowler... Um, who I think Dawn Opal has passed Rob Fowler now as most frequent guest. <laughs> um, Maybe Ro- so. But Rob would say uh, quick policy equals bad policy. Knee-jerk right. responses uh, normally. It has to be thoughtful. And Rob has said to us before, you know, the with term limits in the legislature now, and uh, in, even in the executive office, uh, that we as the investors in this work have to create the solution and then help the state understand what their role is in creating food security across the state. We can't expect them to solve the answer because they're only going to be there for a very short time.
1: Yeah, and so and there's so many things that get put in front of them that are important to understand. So, thus the the blessing of lobbying, right? And uh, you started the show by talking about people thinking lobbying is Pure is, evil. Yeah, and the, the fact is. You know, special interests are something we have to monitor, and and certainly there's a lot of uh, things to to watch when it comes to who's saying what to who. But at the end of the day, it is a critically important process to do a good job letting people know the difference they make when they pass legislation that works for people.
0: Well, it's education as a part of lobbying well and making people aware. Well, Jerry, time for a little food for thought. Influence. Leadership, as we know, is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Influence as a competency refers to the ability to have a positive impact on others, to persuade and convince them to gain their support about a specific project. And that is the work that Anna Almanza is leading at the Food Bank Council. This ability to have a positive impact on others, that is really the true test of leadership the ability to create positive change because anyone can create change. Chaos is change, but no one really enjoys that. But this is our test as individuals and as an organization. Can we create and use our influence to build relationships that create positive policy changes both legislatively and administratively for the families that we serve? We do this by putting and keeping Food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan
2: and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.